Welcome to The Independent Artist, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists, NAIA. I'm Douglas Sigworth. I'm a glassblower. I'm Will Armstrong, mixed media artist. Join us as we explore the topics that affect the lives and livelihood of art show artists. Hey, Douglas, it's Art by Ty Day here on The Independent Artist. We've got Ty coming in here. I'm excited for you to hear our talk. It basically sounds more like two guys sitting at the corner of the bar than it does (laughs) uh, necessarily in an interview, but I think you'll get a kick out of it. It's great. I know of Ty because he's been down from me, him and his wife and family at the Uptown show for probably the last 15 years of me doing it. And... I walk by and I see his family sitting there and I think, oh man, I remember those days having my kids behind the booth. And right. here we here we are talking about families this week. Yeah, we were talking about families and I thought no better person to talk to than him. I feel like he's the consummate family man. Mm. It's um, It's been pretty great talking about the podcast and getting the responses from people. I, I think it's really funny. However, I've noticed something like you, you were like right out of the gate telling me all the different responses that you'd gotten from friends and show Mm -hmm. directors and fellow artists. And I'm like, well, I haven't heard anything from any of my friends about it. Like, what? uh, maybe I'm, you know, dropping a big deuce. I don't know what's (laughs) happening. And I'm like, how come none of my friends are are reaching out? I'm like, I I hope they like it or, you know, I hope I'm not embarrassing myself. Give it it two or three weeks. Then all of a sudden my friends start to to chime in and be like, hey, I, I, I... Finally caught up on this podcast, and it's like I'm starting to realize that the the different yin and yang that we have kind of goes all the way down to who our friends are and who, who we have and who we hang around. Well, anyone who knows me, if you um, if you even mention an idea my way, it's already like the fire's lit, and I I start working on it that second. You know, right. you told me you you do the paint stroke and you let the canvas sit there for a bit and simmer. Well, I get the whole canvas. Like, I'll prepare a, a panel. I work on these panels that I make, and I'll, I'll prepare something with a different collage, and I have this idea. And I've had idea panels sitting in, my, in the corner of my studio for uh, over a year, year and a mm-hmm. half, and I, mm-hmm. I sit there and look at them, and I'm not, I, you know, once I get started on a piece, I crank through it, but it's only because I've, I've, I've planned it out for a year or more. Mm-hmm. So it takes me a while to, to really get going, but... Yeah, and it's it might be the nature of our medium too because, you know, as a glass blower, I don't have time to be pensive and kind of take things in. It's like there's fire involved and things are changing so quickly and we are a fiery bunch, that's for sure. It's true. Glass blowers are a different breed and it's it's funny to be next to a different glass blower. It's, there's, there's an energy about you guys, I've noticed. I've met a number over Intense, the years that yeah. all have a little bit of that immediacy that, mm-hmm. that it's interesting to me. I was talking mm-hmm. to Sarah Bean uh, just yesterday, I think, and we were laughing about the fact that you and I have found kind of a groove with the podcast and and I yeah. said, you know, she she said, well, Douglas is... He's like he's got his briefcase full of Clorox wipes, and you just spilt <laughs> bourbon on your pants. <laughs> she pretty much pretty summed good, that one up perfectly. I would good, say pretty apt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, this week uh, is a big week. I'm starting to look on Facebook and seeing different people 
getting ready. I just saw our, our, a couple of our good friends packed up and ready to hit the road for Greenville, South Carolina for Artist Fear. So, um, so exciting. Winter yeah. Park is coming up after that. So pretty exciting times. Well, I've had Winter Park in my sights and I know I talked about <clears throat> that that immediate after my vaccine was like, yay, I'm going to Winter Park. And then like, oh, let me think about this. And yay, I'm going to Winter Park. And oh, what about this? And I literally had that, that push and pull f- for weeks, but the decision was made. We're going to go. If it turns into a vacation, it was going to be our first big outing in a year. We got a nice Airbnb. We were really committing and looking forward to this. But uh, something in our family happened, health problems. Oh, man. Not going to go into details, but so there you go. Yeah. Rug pulled out from under us and we're home. The rug pulled out from under us is um, is a nice theme around our house as well. And yeah. <laughs> I, the, the, leash, the leash pulled out from under you. Yeah, I can't blame <laughs> it. Stepping up, yeah. grabbing your dog's leash. I, I can't blame the puppy still, but uh, when I was a kid, we had to read this short story called All Summer in a Day by Ray Bradbury. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, I don't know why or what the lesson is, but it stuck with me for a really long time. But this, this little girl who comes from a, a sunny planet and it goes to a rainy planet and she's withering away and she's dying and she just wants to see the sun and it's all she wants to see. And these, these uh, heinous kids in her class lock her in this little cupboard. Uh, they don't like yeah. her, they lock her in the cupboard all of a sudden it gets sunny and it only gets sunny on this planet like once a day, like every 20 years or every year or something like that. They locked her under the cupboard for the one sunny day and they all come back in and they've got sunburns on their cheeks and they remember this kid that they locked under the stairs and they open it up and I mean, it it kills her, it's crushing. So I I feel a little bit like the little girl locked under the stairs with this uh, idiotic leg of mine. So, but or whatever. Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown chasing after the football that Lucy pulls away. It's like you were you were all gung ho to make that twenty two hundred mile drive across the country. Hell yes, I was ready. My wife was ready for me to get out of the house. Instead, she's waiting on me <laughs> hand and foot. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> now she, now she's a day nurse and she's the only breadwinner and she's um, yeah she's a saint is what she is. But um, man, I got to tell you, it was incredibly easy to deal with Winter Park. I, I got the phone yeah. number of Camille and she could not have been kinder when I told her that not only uh, did I blow out my Achilles, but I, I'm practically bedridden right now or couch ridden. And you know I've got to keep my foot up for like six weeks. It's a nightmare. So my wife can't go either. So we're, we both canceled yeah. and she was incredibly kind and, and understanding and very artist friendly and can't say enough mm-hmm. about the good people at Winter Park. So I, I second it. I mean, my email to her was hard to make and I felt like, well, I basically shared on the podcast that I am in turmoil of, well, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? And then I have this family crisis happen. I'm like, and she wrote back the kindest thing to me. And it just made me feel like those folks there, they're not just running an event. Right. That they are, they are in our corner. And I think it's great that they are launching. I know that they were literally the first show, one of the first shows that you know was a casualty of this damn virus. Right. 
and they are making it go. So I hope, I wish everyone well. I wish everyone success. I hope everyone sells out, honestly. I hope it's an amazing show. I hope people are hungry for the arts. I know that they are. Um, but when you do sell out, if you could please um, shut <laughs> the hell up about it. <laughs> don't tell me. I don't want to hear about it. Just count your money, take it to the bank, and don't tell Will. <laughs> Just say, it was so self. Yeah, tell me it was terrible. Oh, it rained. Oh, it rained. I was like, I looked at the weather. It didn't rain. So I, you know what's funny too about uh, Winter Park? I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember at all. I was going to say something about it. I can't remember. But it came, it came and went that quick, oh, did it? You wouldn't believe. <laughs> well, you know, when I was getting ready for the show, heading off to Winter Park, you know, getting back in that old groove of, okay, get my work together, figure out the display. It literally felt like I've never done this. Yeah. I had this this panic and anxiety. Like I used to be able to just look at a pile of crap and say, yep, it's all there. I know exactly what's there. And now I have no idea. Yeah, look at the pile of crap and be like, there, there are no shims in that pile of crap. I need my shims. Mm -hmm. I need my two by fours. You know what I do is um, yeah. I... I build it from the bottom up in my mind. Uh, mm -hmm. I used to have a rug, but I don't carry a rug anymore. I'm pretty bare bones. Uh, mm -hmm. But I used to have a rug, but I'd be like, okay, well, what is on the bottom? And like, okay, the bottom is my pro panel feet. And like in order to tie the pro panel feet together, I need my... Yeah. You've, 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 you've already lost me. I start doing that and I, then I, I'm, I can't go that slow with it. I, I go like a freaking like lightning bolt and then I'm, I'm to the tent top and I'm to the work and I, I've forgotten something along the way. Um, I wanted to ask you, when you are getting ready for a show, do you have, certain, and I want to call them products, it's all, it's all artwork, but do you have a certain amount of- The categories. Categories, okay, much better word. Like I have to have this small, you know. Here, here are my small things, and I, in order mm -hmm. to do a, a decent mid-level to upper-level show, I have to have this mm -hmm. amount of the small things, this amount of the medium, and then this amount of the the large. Is, is that how you set set it up? Obviously, it's a whole new ball game. That's the way I used to do it. I used to, in my mind, feel like this is what goes, and. I literally was driving, it felt like a semi-truck to every show. I've got this 20-foot van, I've got a 10-foot trailer. And one thing I've put a lot of thought into lately is, can I just actually scale back? And can I like make this a little bit more streamlined? Yeah. Really, I mean, kind of like be smarter about it. You know, the reason I bring this up, uh, we all have what we feel like we have to have at an arts mm -hmm. festival. And in talking to Ty, what I really admire about him is that I don't think he gives a rip about any of that. It's like, mm -hmm. here's my, I mean, I'm sure he has his big, you know, knock him dead show pieces. I've seen this uh, Last Supper piece that he did that just blew me away. But I don't think, he's, he's just like, okay, well, here's my stuff. You like me? You're gonna stop and you're gonna, you're gonna check it out. You don't like me? Just walk on by. He doesn't create for the show. He creates his own artwork. He's his own man. And it doesn't matter if it's political. A lot of us shy away from political stuff. He'll just go right at it. And if you like him, you mm -hmm. like him and you stop. And it's, it's really inspiring to me to meet somebody and to talk to somebody and to have someone as a friend like I do him that just doesn't 
care what the public thinks. He's his own guy. Mm, that's really cool. Yeah. So I am excited to talk to him today. And uh, well, I already talked to him, so I already know what we said. But and I think, <laughs> and you're the man that edits it all, so you know what I said. Uh, it probably better you're than I You're excited for everyone to hear it for the first time and to really get to know who he is and and what he brings to the world. And what I enjoyed about this interview, Will, is you know we're both fathers and and we have raised children along with being a professional roadshow artist. And people parent differently. In this interview, he talks about his strength is with supervision, he is showing his children the world through this, this art fair world that we're in. And so they get to see the world and it almost seems like they're very mature young kids. I mean, they're they're accomplished in their own creative pursuits. And it's just, it's really, I found it really interesting. It is interesting. It's a different way to raise your family. Uh, there is no bigger consummate family man uh, than Ty. He mm-hmm. marches to his own drummer. He does what he wants, but he is, he's a father first. And that, that's what really comes across in our, mm-hmm. in our conversation. I'm excited for everyone to hear your interview, Will. So here it is. As I said before, Douglas, today is Art by Ty Day on the podcast. Ty is an American Samoan artist creating work with inspiration fueled by music and the nostalgic memories of his turbulent teenage years. He might pull from the influence of Salvador Dali and surrealist artwork, but he's a true original, self-taught artist, badass with a ballpoint pen and a consummate family man. Check him out online at artbyty.com. That's artbytai.com. You also won't want to miss his own video podcast, DOD45, where he sits down for 45 minutes and has discussions while he draws. That's the DOD discussions over drawing with people that he admires in the world of music and art. Quentin Hughes and Sage Francis episodes are currently on his website and on YouTube. You don't want to miss that. Ty, how's it going? Hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's what we do, right? I mean, it's uh, sit around and wait. You know, it sucks. Like I keep talking to people who've been going, doing some shows, and they've been having these amazing shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, like, well, yeah. I mean, it's like the luck of the draw. It's like, well, I signed up for a few shows, and they've all been canceled, but somehow. I've talked to a few people who've all signed up for things that have have gone. Yeah. You know, they've gone through, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm crushing it." It's like um, I wanted to reach out to Nicario too. It's like Nicario's uh, award-winning circuit has <laughs> well, not yeah. stopped. Like he's just he's crushing it. Yeah, I feel uh, especially with this this leg, uh, just kind of stuck in the starting gates. I just had I'm like I've been waiting all year for work to start, and I just oh, canceled my first two shows. You had surgery. Uh, yeah, I had surgery last Wednesday, and um, so I'm I'm going to be hobbled for a bit. Hopefully, they'll put me in a little bit of a walking boot, but we'll Ugh. see what happens on Thursday. Yeah, I'm in a back brace right now, trying to sit up straight. But oh my god, are you say is this the nerve that you you mentioned? What yeah, happened? I just I've, I've been overworking out, and then I moved a bunch of rocks from our pond for the last couple couple of days, and it just it just uh, inflamed, you know, and then kind of hit my sciatic and. Uh, it's getting better, but I, you know, I can't, I can't really move and move around all that much. But I mean, it, it's happened to me before. It usually lasts like a week. Okay, all right. So I mean, you, 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 you. I don't know. Your work ethic is part of your, I don't know, part of your charm. There, you're always, always working in the back of your booth. You've always got your pen out. I'll, I'll blow my brains out if I'm not able to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I felt. I felt like. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like your work ethic's probably better than mine, but I've been sitting on the couch and that's, you know, I have to elevate this leg and I'm like, I actually yeah. feel claustrophobic inside my own body. Like I just, yeah, I mean, I try to keep myself busy, the, the, but yeah, just not being able to maneuver around and sitting for a while starts to hurt, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you started that podcast project. Tell me a little bit about that though. You've started another one. It's you more know, of a video thing. I have been wanting to do it since the beginning of the pandemic, when the pandemic first hit. I tend to have panic when I start to feel irrelevant. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but I start thinking like, oh, if, I, if I'm not constantly in the face of my collectors or people who like my work, then they'll find somebody else to love. It's some sort of abandonment issue that I have. Yeah, so, I get that. Yeah, so when the pandemic first hit, we were like, okay, what are we going to do? So I started doing these online drink and draw things. And also when I do live stream drawings, people were always just watching. And so I used to have music playing. And so one of the benefits people, my collectors who follow me online could get is I have, I'm proud of my music selection. I have an eccentric taste in music. So I would be playing that music while I was doing these live stream drawing sessions and people would love it because they could just listen to my music and watch me draw. Well, then Facebook and YouTube started doing those copyright issues. So I couldn't, I couldn't play music while I was drawing anymore. Bummer, yeah. yeah there was a drop off between my live drawing streams because there was no music and it was just quiet and it was just me kind of drawing. Yeah. Every once in a while, someone would come on online or while they were watching me and like, oh, and, and chat with me. And I couldn't look up at their texts while I was drawing, you know? So I was right. like, it was interesting to have a conversation. So that's where this whole new podcast thing started. Um, my goal is to bring in people who are famous. So like Sage Francis, who I just interviewed last week, to me, he's like, he's up there. Oh, yeah. That was killer. Yeah, I was I was stoked. So that airs on Thursday. I've got some other people that I can't say who they are just yet until they completely confirm. But the goal is to just interview musicians, artists, people who've inspired me over the years. And um, I think that that's an added bonus to the people who enjoy my artwork for them to be able to hear from the people who've inspired me over my 20 plus year career as an artist, a connection to my artwork that they'll get. So... That's a huge bonus. I mean, I, I do music in my own booth and, and try to keep it low level. And uh, but it's yeah, I provide a soundtrack. You know, yeah. you're listening to music and you're you're engaging. And it's like a lot of my pieces are about music. And you and I did a lot of the same things. You turned me on to um, that Clarksdale spot, the yeah. uh, the shack up, and I was sitting there drawing out there. And and I'm like, I look at some of your stuff, I'm like, oh shit, he drew that same truck. Oh yeah. When, when were you there last? Uh, I was there last, um, well, I guess it would have had to have been 2019 in between a couple of shows. Was the blue truck still in the courtyard area? In the, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I know they moved some or they got rid of some things, but yeah, I love that place, man. <laughs> yeah, it was really nice. Um, I mean, I was nerding out on the blues and I was going down to different spots and I saw, like, I was like, I want to go see the, different grave sites of Robert Johnson, you know, the disputed grave site. So I was going around, we were traveling and we ended up on an unintentional Emmett Till tour just because of all the different uh -huh. things. I was like, oh, let me see where, you know, is nerdy 50 year old white guy. I'm like, I want to see where Sonny Boy Williamson was born. <laughs> and it's it's like, oh shit, this is where Emmett Till was hung. And this is the, the gas station where they picked him up. And it just kind of, 
it was a nice wake up call for me just as a tourist too to add, sure. add a little bit of depth to the to the the tour that we were on. And by the time we went back to the shack up and we'd been kind of, I mean, our heads were kind of spinning. We'd seen quite a bit and processed a lot, but they were doing a, a musician's benefit for some kids. And we scored some tickets to that and we were able to give back a little bit. It was a charity art auction for these kids and the music. And I don't know, the whole day, it was kind of magical and, and magic kind of happens down there. That's how I feel anyway. It's absolutely. It's, it, yeah. Saw that the, the truck and the whole thing. And it, it just, it, it, Giving back helped me feel a little bit less just like a um, voyeur, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, we had, I mean, we had the magic experience our first time there too. I mean, when we first, we were just traveling through and it was getting late and when I get hungry, it... Um, I can be uh, quite a quite a nightmare, but I'm also a night... I mean, for my family, for my wife. But right. I'm also a nightmare when we show up at a place that I'm, I don't feel comfortable immediately. Comfortable as far as like, I, you know, I'm traveling with my two kids and my wife. So I'm, I'm on high levels of alertness. I'm not a, I don't freak out on things, but I'm just, I always have to operate highly because I want to protect them. And, um, but we had pulled up right in front of, um, oh, what's Morgan Freeman's place called again? Uh, uh, Ground Zero. Down zero. And I, you know, I was like, well, this place looks quite shady. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, there's couches out front and everything signed. And I was like, oh, I don't know you guys, but it was getting late. My wife went in. She's like, oh, I know how bad you get when you get hungry. I'm just going to go in there and see if they have food. Right. So she went inside and came back out and said, it's really cool in there. Let's go in. And we went in. It was in the middle of the daytime. We took the kids in there and we started, we were eating and then people started filing in. And it started, that was about 2 p.m. And it started getting to about 6 p.m. And we were like, oh, we should probably go because it's going to turn into this kind of crazy, yeah, you know, bar. party, bar, yeah, bar thing. And as we were getting up to leave, this big guy in overalls, he comes up and he says, hey, you guys shouldn't leave. I want you, why don't you stick around and hear us play? And that was the all night long blues band. And we left at like three in the morning. Oh my, my kids, God. like my daughter got called up on stage and she was dancing and, and she, you know, she was like seven years old at the time, even <laughs> if even that it was a great night. And then the, um, oh, what is his name? The guy from the All Night Long Blues Band, he played the harp. He, he ended up having a heart attack about five years ago, maybe more. And I did a drawing of him for the band and for, for the bar and took it down there. But oh man, that whole experience was amazing. And we've gone back maybe twice two times a year since then. We haven't been there for about three years now, but... The guy that runs Cathead Records and Bookstore uh, usually has his finger on the pulse of stuff. So, I mean, when I'm there, and you probably run into the same thing, it's like it's between shows, that's when we travel. So, I, you know, it's, it's a Thursday, Friday, maybe a Thursday town, but it's a Friday, Saturday town. I kind of like it because you're, you're catching the remnants and you're actually catching some of the real actual town. It's not just the touristy kind of stuff. But I mean, that, that town is, is still very real, but that guy in Cathead will kind of, he has his finger on the pulse. He'll tell you, hey, check this out. This is happening. This guy might be here. This guy might show up here. Um, just go down and check this out if you can. So it's yeah. always been cool. You mentioned your, your kids and the whole idea of this particular podcast that Douglas and I have been doing is like, we started talking about kids and raising our kids. And so I'm like, well, that is a really cool topic. You think about like 
Kemper and Bruno who grew up on the road. Douglas interviewed Mickey and Ryko and talking about Ryko growing up and now she's she's at the top of her game and showing at all these shows. And I was thinking about you guys. Like to me, you're the, the consummate family man. Like you always have your whole family on the road. You've got both kids. I mean, I remember your kids being super little, playing with Legos behind the booth. I mean, it's it's tricky. I mean, you talk about going to Clarksdale and, and being out till three. It's like these guys... Your guys are getting a different experience, but it's super wholesome too. You know, it's 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 all about family. One of the things that I've discovered as my daughter is now 15 and she's very herself and strong and um, has opinion, really strong opinions about things. I've discovered that they, all of that travel road life for them has been just a huge benefit the things that they got to see when they were just kids and how people exist and how people interact with each other in the real world is something you can't get from, you know, being in a classroom with other students and the leader at the top, the teacher or the principal. I, I spent, it's amazing. I mean, now I'm the child in, in the relationship. It's like, I'm right. so, it's so bizarre to me. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm the foolish one now. <laughs> and she treats me like I'm a like I'm a little kid now, but and rightfully so because she is at the age that she's been growing up, living on the road. That stuff is concreted into her forever. I only started traveling when I was in my twenties, so I mean, I used to be a total introvert, homebody. I never left my house. I was synonymously known as the guy who never leaves the, the house ever. Yeah, <laughs> and then when the economy crashed for the first time. I had to get out and find new ways to make my artwork available. I was curious as to, you know, we all get into this business in such a weird way. That's why I changed my body of work. Um, I used to do a completely different body of work and I changed when the economy crashed. How did you get out on the road? How did you start doing shows? At the time, I was doing, um, I was doing completely different work. I was doing stencil pop art stuff. I sold one on eBay. I had just lost a TV job. I was editing a TV show for um, a fight TV show. And uh, the, the show got canceled. So I w- was about to go tie rebar with a friend of mine, which is like one of the <laughs> worst jobs ever. Oh my God. And that, that was looking down the barrel of a, a rebar tying job. And I had just done a, a mural with some people. It was my first time ever doing stencils, like two weeks prior to this. And uh, actually the mural I did, it was this lady, uh, Jan Haworth. She was one of the original um, designers of the Sgt. Pepper's album cover. Yeah. Um, she lives here in Salt Lake or in Park City. Anyway, I did, I did a stencil piece for their mural. And I was like, I'm just going to make a stencil thing for my wife because her birthday was coming up. And it was, a, it was a painting of Erica Badu, Miles Davis, and uh, Billie Holiday. And before I gave it to her, I had been messing around on eBay. And I, so I listed it on eBay and it sold like it sold in like 15 minutes. And I felt bad because that was supposed to be the gift for my wife, but I was just (laughs) testing it out, you know? And then, so I I painted another one because it's stencils and that sold. And then that was the Sunday night before the Monday I was supposed to go to work. And I was like, you know what? I called my friend who owned the rebar company. I said, give me a week to try this out. And from that day forward we were painting stencils it got and just selling all across the world on ebay because this was right when pop art was becoming real huge in the states you know ebay was where people went to go buy stuff it got to a point where i had to 
asked my wife to quit her job and we were just selling like neither one of us came for money and we were making just crazy amounts of money. It was crazy. Like we would take when she was pregnant after she had the baby, we were taking turns in the studio where I would come out in the morning and I would work until 5 PM. And then she would work all night long, just mass producing paintings. And that was where my collect, how I ended up with so many huge collectors all across the world is because at that time, Right. A lot of them stayed with me, but it was totally different work. I, that first year that I was selling those those paintings, we were making like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Amazing! It was, yeah. it was so stupid. Right. And, and, and we were young and not even and just a family. And like when you're making money like that, when you're making like thirteen, twenty thousand dollars a week, right? Like we went and bought shit on credit because I was like, oh, we went and bought a brand new truck, and I was like, oh. Well, you never think it's going to stop, yeah. right? Yeah, I was like, you yeah, know. we can we can cover a thousand dollars a month, no problem. Right. And the economy crashed, and we were left with all this debt. We didn't know how to. We weren't good at saving any of that, so we that money just started going away and away. No one was buying on eBay anymore, and it just completely went away. And I was like, what now? What? And right. I had a friend that was in. She had been doing the Utah Arts Festival for a couple of years, and she told me what she made. And I was like, all right, well, I'll apply to the Utah Arts Festival and we'll try it. And we got in the first time we applied with the stencil artwork stuff and I sold out at the show. And I was like, oh, here it is. This is all, every show is going to be just like this. (laughs) (laughs) I I booked a show in Tacoma, Washington. And I I booked all these shows. Well, my next show after that Utah Arts Festival was in Tacoma, Washington. I went and bought a a new truck, like a cover for my truck so we could take our work over there. I made 250 bucks. (laughs) This business, man, it keeps you honest. It totally does. It it has this way of keeping you honest. I mean, the first time I had a show with this this body of work that I'm showing now, I I went down to Coconut Grove and I crushed it. I sold out and it it kept the wheels on the wagon, but it's like, it just feeds that gambling addiction. You know, that we all kind of have that excitement, that thrill, that thrill of the sellout, that thrill of, of being able to go to the next town. And and we've all taken one, you know? We've, yeah. we've taken one at good shows. We've taken them at... And then, you know, you go to some rinky-dink and you just knock it out of the park. Yeah. So... Well, it, it, and one thing as artists too, like you we're sensitive about things. So you start... Like if you have a great show with your new body of work, you know, initially when you're going out with new work, you have that worry like, oh man, am I going to miss the mark with this stuff? Like... Is this not going to work out? And then it does. And if it does work right. out, that's great. But then the next show, maybe it doesn't. So yeah, it's... Well, that brings me to another point about you and your work. It's it's an interesting thing where I see like a lot of artists in, in this industry are so afraid to say anything. You know, it's like they do a lot. There's a lot of decorative work out there. There's a lot of really good decorative work out there, but they're not saying, we're like, well, I really wish I could get political. I wish I could, but nobody's going to buy that, which I think, you know, you walk into your booth and clearly that's obviously nonsense. You know, I mean, you say whatever you want. And that's, I've always admired. I mean, do you ever find yourself, maybe I shouldn't say this or do you, I mean, because it seems to me like when I walk into your booth, you're just going for it. Yeah, you know, well, thank you. And I I never, I've always had artistic talent, but I've never considered myself an artist and never even 
un, like understood the world and I still don't. And it's not something I ever even really want to understand. Um, I, I, what, I have verbal communication issues. I, I have adjective recall is one of my, I practice every single day um, to remember adjectives and to uh, work on my communication skills. I've done that for, it's almost like I have a stutter. I jump ahead. Okay. Like you can hear it. I hate to ever point it out because if you ever go back and listen to anything that I do, I'll start saying something and I'll jump over somewhere else to <laughs> where yeah, I think yeah, everybody's yeah. with me, but no one really is. Drives my wife's oh. nut, my wife nuts. I know that. <laughs> but um, so my, my work, my artwork has always just been me. The only way I can communicate. So, and I have never ever been afraid to say things that I like or say things that I don't like. I've, ne I've never had any fear of that. So my artwork is just an extension of, of that, I think. So, um, yeah, sometimes it You're, gets me into conversations that I don't care for with people. I was wondering, I mean, <laughs> is that, it's got to. I mean, we, the way we show in a lot of the different places that we, I've seen you in Des Moines, I've seen you in Fort Worth, and I'm like, I, you know, Fort Worth uh, it can be a bit of an edgy town, and I could see, you know, how, you were there the first year that you were there. I was, and I'd never seen you there. I was like, oh yeah, they're going to eat yeah. you alive. Like it's just your market. But I could yeah. also see <laughs> cowboy, you know, cowboy hat guy walks in and gives you a hard time or says, well, what's this about? And um, I don't know. How do those conversations go? You know what I find most people with my artwork is if it's not your thing, it's almost like you don't even see it. So the people who ever come in and have some sort of issue or want to uh, start up some sort of drama, there are people that are always looking for it. And so right. they'll come in and they'll, and I, most of the issues I ever have are usually like religious based. People want to come in and try to ask me if I found God and stuff like that. Um, they always sides like T-bone, like they'll do like a trick where they'll be like, oh, wow, you're so incredible. Um, how do you do this? Or do you, do you think that it's some other spirit from above? You know, it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I just enjoy it. And then all of a sudden, have you accepted uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm like, what? <laughs> and I have right. no problem with people with religion, but then they start trying to go into things about, well, this is what you're drawing here is um, the sign of the devil and all that stuff. And I don't even, I don't even think about that at all. I, I don't run into too many issues. I've also, I'm, heavily tattooed, which back in the day used to be kind of a scary for people to approach me. But I have learned over the years, people are afraid to approach me, but I'm a teddy bear, man. I, I'm, I'm emotional and sensitive. And um, I just have a look that sometimes comes off as like, I'm a hard ass, but I'm really not. The good thing about that is it usually keeps those people at bay where I don't have to usually get into too much confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Yeah. No, I mean, it can be a filter. You know, I can see your work as a filter and it filters out the, you know, but it's always interesting when you get weird. I, I've never had a problem with it. I don't get as, I, I don't get as out there as maybe as I'd like to sometimes, but like I'll, I'll get there and I'm like, well, that piece is gone. I sold that immediately. I mean, you really can say whatever the hell you want. And it's like, I kind of see that with, with you guys too. It's like, well, here's this edgy, the guy, he's scary and he's got this, you know, the monkey and the gas mask and he's walking through blood and guts and it's, 
you know, what's he trying to say? And it's like, well, you know, look how, look at, look at, look at what he's doing. You know, he's, his yeah. kids are on the road with him. You guys are out there together. And, and I just really wanted to talk to you. I mean, I love the fact that your daughter, she just, I, you know, he let you brag on her for a minute. I listened to that album that <laughs> she put out recently. And, and how cool is that? I mean, how long was she working on that? And it's, it's, it's all her. Yeah, when she was 13 years old, she had this idea where she was going to write. She knew it when she was 13. She said, I'm going to write this music, all these songs when I'm 13. When I'm 14, I'm going to record that music. And when I'm 15, I'm going to release the album. And the album has 13 songs on it, and the album's called 13. And um, that's like thought at 13 years old, I wasn't thinking, you know, I was, I don't even know what I was thinking, probably playing no video games or something. But, yeah. um, and I do attribute that to her living on the road and experiencing uh, being around people who are celebrated for expressing themselves artistically. Uh, it's fantastic. Like uh, the first time I heard it, I was just crying. Like I was just bawling my eyes out because I was so proud of her. I would hear her up in her room playing and recording it, but we knew we were never allowed to listen to it. We were never allowed to comment on it. Um, so the, the very first time I heard it is when the album was released on, on Spotify. That was the very first time I heard any of it. And so I was blown away. I just could not believe it. It's, it's really good. It's, you know, it's crazy. It is. She got contacts from people to the one that wanted like more access to her. They're like, hey, can we, these people were in the music industry. Uh, yeah. They were like, hey, can we get access to her Instagram page? Cause it's private. Cause she's, uh, you know, we don't want, you know, that going on. And they asked us, can you ask her to let us get in on there? And we're like, no, probably not. And then um, some other people from some music industry were asking if we could, if she wanted to have a meeting with them, like a Zoom meeting and have a discussion about things. And uh, she wasn't into it at all. She was like, no, I, I don't want to do this. Telling that to us. Yeah. And meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like, I would have killed for an opportunity like that. But then I've, um, I was so proud of her because, she, it, you know, I know what her feeling is. Like once people start putting their hands on your music and your artwork and the things that you did as just an expression and something on yourself, they start changing you. And then you have, you feel a pressure to, Oh, maybe I got. I can't write music like this or do music like that. So I think that that's her angle of why she didn't want to. And I just want her to be a kid right now. I mean, she's got right. talent, and if she wants to create music later, that's fine. But she just this was just a project for her. Like it wasn't. She wasn't like trying to make a career out of being a musician, which is also like just blows me away too. Because yeah, that, that blows me away too. I can't. I mean. The clarity that it takes for a fifteen-year-old to 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 do that, you yeah. know. Her and my yeah. son are great musicians, and um, we, you know, that was something we always we always set, raised them with is even if you don't go anywhere with your music, the, one of the coolest damn things in the world is if you're sitting around a campfire and you can break out a guitar and just start playing something. I, I wish I could have, I could do, I can play the guitar a tiny bit, but not enough to just break it out and start playing around a campfire. And that'll yeah. always be a benefit to you as you get older. Even if you're a doctor or a lawyer or anything, if you can just bust out a, an instrument and start playing around the campfire, like, it's My, awesome. it, it is. My kids I'm worried about because I feel like, um, 
they're kind of at this stage, this preteen stage where they're rebelling a little bit and they're like, you know, everything I do is pretty dorky and uncool, but I've got this vast music collection and this vast, I'm like, you can't think everything from Johnny Cash to Bad Brains is uncool <laughs> just because I like it. I it's not, you know, and it's, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, how do I get this stuff into their heads without it just being dad rock? You know, one of our tricks had always been, we just never comment on any, we never shared anything with them, never told anything to them. I would have, you know, we'd always have music playing all the time. But right. one thing we know about, it's, I think it's the same with adults. People want to discover their own music. Um, as much as I love sharing my music, my the, my music choices and what I like with people, I know I I don't want to be told what's good or hear or be told. I want to just discover it on my own. So we would right. kind of just leave a little bit of some Easter eggs around with music and let them kind of hear it, and then go into the blues like. Seeing live music was all you know was always a bonus too, but uh, yeah, right. once you tell, once ask your parent and you say like, you should check out this man. Forget about it. Forget <laughs> it. And it's it could be the best thing. It is like ah oh, God, I screwed it up again. You know. Well, what me and my wife have discovered is the kids are so smart and these days that they're actually their music choices and the things that they listen to have changed my whole. Um, outlook on what I what I'm listening to now. Like I listen to really stuff I would have just you know constantly made fun of when I was a little bit younger. But now I'm just like, wow, that is that's really good music. And I mean, yeah, TikTok. And people are making music everywhere, which is fantastic. So there's a lot of voices out there, and only the the good voices break through the noise. So it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. They've got their own thing and they're they're looking things up and I'm like, well, here's your here's your Apple Music family plan and I can do this, but uh, it's yeah. it's hard. Well, they listen to uh, crap too. My daughter listens to this oh. girl who's this song and every time me and my wife hear it, I'm just like I, it makes me just like I cannot take any more of this garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh well. <laughs> yep, that's the way it was. Yeah, I, I somehow hip hop is dad rock. Like, how did I do that? I like, how did I make that uncool? I'm like, know. well, you'll get out there and you'll see, you'll have friends and they'll tell you and be like, what, what, what do you mean? And we're like, I don't need to be cool to my kids, but um, I'm like, I do know a couple things. <laughs> to people like us, music is important. It's just as important as learning how to read and write. At least that's how I feel. Because some, some people can't read or write or even speak themselves. And if you can use music as a way to speak your truth, then that's, you know, that's better than anything. Yeah, it really is. You want to share good music with your kids because it's that important to you. Yeah. Hey, tell me a little bit about, like, how did you get to Hannibal? Like, I, I was interested in, like, you started out in Park City, you started doing shows, you did The Weird Chief, uh, which is your Instagram with the stencil, which you're, yeah, you're still cool. out there. How'd you end up in Hannibal and, and with that crew? When we started doing shows a little more regularly, I would see uh, Michael Cole. Yeah. I'd see him around. I didn't know who he was. I, I never even really saw him. I just saw his work. I think the first time I saw it was at Uptown Art Fair in Minneapolis. And I saw it and I was like, oh man, that's, that's a real artist. And I started feeling like a phony. Like I was like, oh man, that's, that's what real artwork looks like. And, real, yeah. you know, and I was inspired by it. Cut to like a year later, we were doing um, the show in uh, Houston at the park. Memorial Park, Bayou City. Yeah, the Bayou City show. 
and yeah. he, was, he was i was setting up and he was setting up right next to me and i was like nice oh that's that dude yeah awesome <laughs> <laughs> and um, i mean that's how like half of my friends are you know like yeah. you 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 really get to know somebody that way well, and, and i don't ever venture outside my booth because i am i'm with my family all the time so after shows i don't go to the bars or i don't really go out right. because i'm like we go to the hotel have dinner get the kids fed um but uh so anytime any friends i have that are road friends are people who i've had a booth next to uh right. but yeah so he i wasn't gonna go and talk to him because i just don't do that not because i'm an asshole i'm just i don't sure I don't, that's just who you are yeah so he came into my booth and he was like hey uh would you ever want to trade artwork I'm like are you nice. kidding me and we traded, uh, and then that was we had a great weekend. Got to got to know him a little bit better, and then a couple of months later, I uh, was doing the show in the the Fifty Seventh Street in Chicago. And at the time, we were living in Salt Lake City, so most of my collectors are in the Midwest and down south. It's a hell okay. of a drive. That driving back and forth, like there were times where we were almost dying on the road, you know, from trying to get from one place to the next, trying to pull a 28 hour nonstop switch in places. So it got a little dangerous. So we always hated that. We were doing the show on 57th street. Michael Cole came over to the booth. He said, Hey, have you ever been to Hannibal? I was like, no. And he's like, well, it's only a few hours from here. And I have a friend that's selling a house there. You should come check it out. Well, then we were like, we had a show in between, you know, we had 57th Street on one weekend and the next weekend was going to be Well Street. So we had yeah. a week in between. So Wait, was that uh, Matthew Nasker's house? Oh, that was Matthew Nasker's house. No way. <laughs> oh, that's right. I put it all together now. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, so we, we drove to Hannibal after 57th Street was over. We drove to Hannibal and he told me how much Matthew was selling it for. And it was maybe, wasn't it was, it's dirt cheap, but maybe more than I was even planning on spending. So right. we started looking at homes in Hannibal and we saw one that was $12,000. So we were like, okay, well, while we go over there, let's start looking at some houses. So we went to the, the we pulled into Hannibal. We pulled up to the house that was $12,000. And I got out and I was like, wow, that thing's going to need a ton of work. Um, let's all check it out. And I started walking over and this guy was mowing his lawn at the house right next door. And uh, he didn't have a shirt on. And he had this tattoo across his chest that said white power. <laughs> Oh man! I was like, "Well, we ain't buying that house." <laughs> no. <laughs> and we got into the car van and, and drove up the street some to Matthew Nafker's house and pulled up in front. And I saw the house and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Um, uh, this is amazing." We we got a key from Michael Cole. We went in and looked around, and he had already started doing some work on it. And there was a bathroom that was up, you know, that worked in there. So I knew if we decided to buy it, at least we had a place that we could shower and bathe while I worked on the house because I needed to right. work. But I called Matthew. I never, I didn't know who Matthew was. And I called okay. him and I had, I just had a couple of good shows in Chicago. And I said, you know, listen, and the art, Utah Arts Festival is coming up. That's the show I always kill. <laughs> right. And so I said, hey, uh, would you ever be interested in like selling this to me for uh, whatever your price is, but let me pay you half first. And then I'll know I'll have a great show at this next one and I'll, and I'll pay you the rest. And he's like, yeah, awesome. I'd love for it to Perfect. end in an artist's hand. And I was like, okay, cool. And, and I couldn't believe, we weren't really looking for homes, but just the Hannibal being, you know, right in the middle of the country, you can get anywhere in a day's drive. Like that, that, that made a huge difference on us being able to do some shows. And yeah. I, one time, long time ago, I saw, um, before I was even an artist, tra you know, doing shows, 
at the Utah Arts Festival, I once saw this guy's artwork that blew me away. Uh, this was before I was even trying to become, you know, I was before I was an artist. Right. And it was Joachim, Joachim <laughs> Nils' artwork. Nice. So we go, we go, after we decide, okay, we're going to buy the house, Michael Cole says, hey, these guys are going to have um, a little potluck dinner. Would you guys like want to join us to there? It's some other traveling artists. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll go check that out. <laughs> and we're going up, we're pulling up to the house. And I told my wife, I was like, wouldn't that be crazy if this was that guy's house? Like if this was who oh, we were going God. to? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like, yeah, and then we, we knock on the door and, Yakeem Neal and Janice are standing there like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We're, we're not sophisticated people. We're just suburban kids. Sure. And my wife's like, we got to bring something. So we brought like these Doritos in these plastic <laughs> bags. <laughs> like This really shitty bottle of wine. <laughs> like, but they didn't care. They, yeah. I know they didn't, but it's still, then we started finding out like they hate, you know, plastic and all this. Stuff. <laughs> never, we'll, we'll never forget that first time we showed up their house with that. But um, yeah, that's, then we became friends. That's amazing. Cause I, that's how I became aware of Hannibal and kind of the artist community that was going on because I met him uh, Yakim, when he was doing the large scale Polaroids, I don't know if you ever saw that work. But yeah, that's yeah. when I, you know, I first met him, and he was going around. And I think at that time he was like, "Yeah, I don't care if I sell. I live in Hannibal, you know." And it's, yeah. he's still kind of like that way. He's like, "Well, my work is, that. <laughs> yeah, my work is expensive. I don't care if I sell it. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'll sell them eventually, but, but you know, who really cares? Here's, I live in Hannibal, and and I'll win the awards, and because what an incredible yeah. artist, you know, top to bottom with those Polaroids and his paintings too. I'm in love with all of it. I had a really good year a few years ago, and I was able to buy one of his original. Uh, oh, oil nice! Paintings. Which one? Yeah, uh, it's an alligator. It's one of the, it's an alligator. Um, it's called I can't remember what it's called. It wasn't one of the you know, $13,000 pieces, but it was a good, I mean, it cost, you know, he let me pay in chunks. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, nice. Um, yeah. It's hanging in our, in our Hannibal house. So good for you, man. I, you know, there's, there are certain artists that I, like, I always regret not getting, like he had a piece called the lovers. That was two people kind of sitting at a coffee table. It was two bears sitting at a coffee table that were kind of like staring ahead. And, and I, I loved that one. And then there was one that Whipple had, John Whipple had that I just, you know, called Comic-Con that I've always been kicking myself. And it, like, I was kicking myself about that one. And then I don't know why I'm going there, but I, I, I reached out to him. I was like, man, you don't have any, I just want to see a photo of that. And he had just replaced that because the person that had owned it originally had died. And I think somebody oh. else picked it up, but it was gone again. Like I, I was just like <laughs> another week and I'm like, what, what the hell am I thinking? So that goes as a lesson to all of you out there, whoever's listening. Just if you, if you fall in love with the piece, even if you're get an it. artist, get it. I tell, I've, I've even told people that before because my original paintings that we were selling on eBay, the original paintings were like $50, 50 to $100. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, forget it if you think you're getting original from me for that price now. But <laughs> right. I, I have to kick, my, kick myself because I about 10 years ago, I wanted to, I was like, I knew Dolan was going to end up like, and that was work that just, you know, Dolan Guyman, like that was work oh, that yeah. was going to go to people who are going to see that it was going to end up places. And I wanted to get them to do a Buffalo piece from me yeah. for me. 
and I should have got it at the time, I probably would have been able to afford it. But I right? don't think that's happening now. Oh, I know. Dolan to me is always just like, he's just out of reach. I'm like, well, I can afford this. I wonder how much. I'm like, that's well, a little too expensive. I'll, I'll save up. And then you go back yeah. and he's gotten a little more expensive and just out of your reach yeah. again. You're like, uh, you yeah. know, it's buying art. It's got to hurt a little, right? It's got to be a it's little, a, little out of reach. Yeah, I'm, you know what I, what I like, I never really get to chat with people in this industry. I mean, Michael Cole comes over to my house every, you know, once a week and we just have beers out on the front porch of my gallery. Nice. So, but that's nice, but we don't ever really like chat. You know, we always kind of do the normal one when you run into another artist and like, got shows coming up what are you doing but other than that we mostly just talk about you know friend stuff so it's nice to it's nice to like shoot the shoot the shit about <laughs> it is man i mean it's it's important yeah there's an artist in in richmond before i moved and and it was like she came i sold some pro panels or something to her and and uh it was like it had been three or four months and pandemic was going and I'm like, it was just nice to be able to talk kind of shop, but your real friends, you can just sit down and talk about nothing. You know, you yeah. don't have to talk, well, what shows are you doing? It's like, well, I don't want right. to talk about that, you know? And, yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's this hard. is on a different level too. I mean, I, I, so what is the, the, so is it, it's a podcast yeah. And what and what is the do you have a specific angle or you So originally we had the idea like Douglas Sigwarth I, I met him through uh just the NAIA he came on as a board member and I came on as a board member too uh with Ben Fry but Doug had the idea of doing this podcast we used to have this nice newsletter and I used to do radio. I did radio for about 15 years and I love it. But that was just spinning records. And then I'd come on and I'd say some, you know, my opinions on XYZ, but it was mostly uh, music and getting the music out there. So he was like, well, you did radio. Any interest? So the idea of this is kind of like an NAIA newsletter. They sponsor us and we're doing it as kind of a drive, but really it's just to get out there, have the conversations and kind of spread the word about art shows and talk to interesting people. And Well, pardon my ignorance, but what is the, what is the NAIA? So the National Association of Independent Artists uh, oh. is kind of an advocacy thing. It's as close as artists maybe have to a union. You know, it's kind of our seat at the table when art shows go into certain things. They have written like the way to kind of hold directors' hands that are new, that are trying to start festivals and be like, okay, well, here, do it this way and you won't run into any trouble. And or um, it's just kind of a, it also kind of helps to meet the artists and the show directors on a level playing field and not make it think that the show directors are the enemy in any way. Wow. They're all working for the same thing. So wow. it, it, it's just a nice advocacy. I'm glad I asked because I, uh, I love something like that. I'm glad that there is something that operates on that level because that's, that's, that's awesome. So it keeps us from being, I think, um, just a, a bunch of different little voices in the dark. And if we all have a big opinion, then we can kind of get that out there. So they were they were pretty big in, in helping, like when Bayou City added that extra loop, um, getting some people's money back when they did this. And it's it's a it's a it's a pretty good, pretty good, powerful group. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I I I was really happy with the way that Mount Dora had done their show. I liked the separation of the booths. 
I liked that, you know, they were pretty much, you know, asking right. people, you can't force anyone, but people were wearing masks. And so it's just nice to know that there's an organization or hopefully there's people, because I don't know what to do. I'm still, I still feel very much, I've been traveling and doing shows, not near as long as everyone else, but you know, it's like eight, my 18th year or something. And I still, yeah, man, I've that's a like long such time. such an outsider of travel, like show guys and i do you know, i do like 30 shows a year but, right <laughs> right well you were talking about doing the radio i'm a huge howard stern fan so that yeah um especially his later years i mean i've been following him for years but i like his when he's having a discussion with people um he's really kind of getting into the meat of people rather than their normal interviews so that's what i do on my podcast is i'm i don't i'm not interested in talking to him about stuff that people have already asked in other interviews and had a discussion about now all that would be is like regurgitating information people already know. Right. Well, yeah. Everybody already knows how uh, Abbey Road sure. is recorded and all that stuff. And it's like, he gets into Paul McCartney and get, really gets into the dirt. And it's, it's like yeah. a friend too. So yeah, I'm a big fan as well. It's yeah. So I'm, I'm making it easy on myself. So I'm, I'm like, well, let me line up these people that I know already or that I already have a, somewhat of a relationship with. So yeah. it's making it easier. So is it tough having your kids out on the road with you? Is it, is it not, I mean, to me, it doesn't even seem like it's an option. That's just what you're doing. You know, we got lucky that, that my wife is such a good mother because she homeschools them too. She's just super patient. So, um, I think it would be pretty irresponsible for me to say, ah, it's no big deal. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but, but it's just uh, what you're doing. We're together and we chose to have our children. Like we made the conscious, we were married for a long time before and we we're like, right. you know, let's have kids. So, so my, my point is we, it was something we chose to do. So having the kids on the road with us was awesome. I didn't, my dad had to work a lot and he was always gone and he wasn't absent, but he was not there often. And right. that was something I didn't want to be the relationship with me and my children or my wife. And so it was like, there was no other option I've done in the, in the 18 years that we have done shows. I've done two shows without, without my wife or kids with me. Um, and I'm not just, good at I'm not good at that stuff. One of the shows I don't I don't I barely even woke up for the show the next morning because <laughs> I, I went out that night the night before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think we've partied until like four in the morning, and that was for the the art in the square. Uh, and that show starts real early that oh. first Saturday. <laughs> oh man, if you did it Friday, you're talking about the Madison one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I've made that mistake myself. And it like you get there because you got to be there farmers market hours. Yeah. And if you're not, you're screwed. That's awful. Yeah, and you set up that Friday night. Yeah, it was. Uh -huh. But yeah, yeah, I need. I'm responsible when I'm when I'm without them too. So I also get a bonus out of having the kids around because after a show, no matter what, I. I don't use them as the excuse, but I can just be like, nope, I'm sorry. Because people are always like, oh, we're going out here, going out here. I'm like, no, no my kids are hungry and you know, yeah. we're going back to the hotel. And I always have this feeling like, oh man, everyone's out having fun. And then the second I get to the, the hotel room or into the van, wherever we're sleeping, right. I'm very grateful that I'm like, oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'll be refreshed. I'll have a good day. So yeah, yeah. For that, you're so. not going to be running down the street with like, I don't know. 
I've, I've gotten into some situations too. Like, oh, you're, you don't want to go leapfrog trash cans in the middle of the night with us and uh, end up on the beach with a bottle of tequila? I do in my 20s. But yeah, yeah I, I, can't, I don't recover as well anymore. No, you, you, hangovers can last a good two or three days. And I, don't, I don't miss those, those hangover days, that's for damn sure. But yeah, it's, it's not too, it really isn't, it isn't tough if you're willing to do the work. And I, and I, I credit most of that to my wife. She's, she's very patient and good with the kids. And she, we don't do like the role thing where like, I'm the dad and I do this and you're the mom, you do this. But we, right. we do that. We, we don't, it's not, we just kind of um, operate perfectly in our lanes. And my wife is very good at, the taking care of the children's needs and going down that angle probably 99% of the time she's taking care of the kids um, emotionally and yeah. uh, physically and, and, uh, and those things. I love my children to death, but I'm also uh, not, I'm still a child myself. So I'm not great emotionally there for everybody. Sure. Yeah, I get um, it but I love them to death and we have this great relationship, but it, yeah, it, I actually love it. I, I, I prefer having my kids on the road and now they're getting to the age where this year we're still planning on going. My daughter gets her license um, in a year, but uh, I don't know. We, we, we're not sure if they're going to keep traveling with us, what their, what their feeling is there. As far as we know, they're still into it. Do they have like a crew on the road, like other art show artist friends and stuff? Do they, they know? They know some um, and they have played with them, but my kids are very, the way we raised them and it was the way I was raised as a kid is like just being, being very responsible and very respect, res, you know, have a respect for things. And so a lot of times... I don't want to generalize, but a lot of the kids that are out on the road are like animal feral animals. Yeah, <laughs> right. And and the, and they don't have specific rules that we would have because we're not comfortable. Our kids, be, you know, being in a whole other city like in Chicago or just somewhere far away from home, we've never been comfortable with them just kind of wandering off and going and doing their own thing and ever. Right. Um, so they didn't. They they have made friends. But I, but there we un, kind of unfortunately have instilled this like worry about too much more than they probably need to worry about, and, and right. so they wouldn't go hang out with these people and go have fun with them because they'd be running around people's booths. These other kids, you know, and my kids would be like, "No, we, no way, you don't go around other people's booths. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> you don't be loud if you're next to." I mean, that was always our big thing too when we were having the kids like we were constantly very um, concerned about disturbing uh, the booth neighbors. And that's just the way me and my wife are. We all, we want to, we want to make sure everyone around us is comfortable and happy. And so right. when we would pull up at a show and be setting up and we bring out two car seats, like we knew how, what we looked like to the neighbors. Like they'd be like, Absolutely, oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then one of the greatest things that would always happen. And we used to tell our kids, we give them a dollar every time it happened. Um, if we ever heard the comment after a show or towards the end of a show, the booth neighbor would be like, wow, your kids are so good. <laughs> Every time we heard that, like my wife would pay, would give the kids money. We didn't pay them to be good, but 
that means that means something, you know, like we want to raise responsible children. So yeah, responsible humans, good humans. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're raising. And I, th- I feel like I'm probably responsible for a couple bucks out of your pocket because <laughs> I definitely said that, you know, we've been close by. I'm like, God damn, that's like, I didn't hear like they just like they're right there on the Lego table. They're just hanging. You know, yeah. you've you've got your son is out there drawing or or whatever. Are they are they artistic? I know your daughter is musical and your son is too. But uh, do they do they take after after pop? Yeah, they constantly draw, and it's awesome. nice. And, and then and my daughter's drawings. Her her art book is. Um, my son draws a lot like me. That cr- kind of crazy craziness. Yeah. Um, uh, stream of consciousness sort of stuff. My daughter draws. The, at her age, the stuff that she's drawing blows my. I have all my artwork from when I was younger, yeah. not all, but a good portion of it. And her technique and the thing she's creating just blows my work out of the water when I was at that age. And it is amazing. She's got books, like just books uh, full of drawings. And um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. But I, I just glance at them. I look at them, and I don't say anything because I don't. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything. I don't want them to yeah. be like, oh, great. Dad said this is good. <laughs> like, uh, well, yeah. you don't want to end up like me with your kids hating hip hop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, man, this has been a really cool talk. It went off a lot of different places that I wanted it to and, and some stuff that I didn't expect. So I appreciate you sitting down with me. Yeah, of course. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for thinking of me. I know what it's like doing a show, so I have no problem doing it. Yeah, it's it's fun. Well, luckily I've got uh, Douglas that he's like this uh, savant on editing and uh, wanting to do all of the stuff that actually gets it out there. Or like, yeah. well, I could I could sit down and talk to my friends if you want and record it. And editing is it oh. really takes a lot of time. It does <laughs> if, you care, if you if you care about what's going to be on there. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah, and we do. You know, yeah. Lay out your podcast. Give me the info. How do people? Uh, listen and, and watch. Yeah, and- the podcast is called DOD 45, which is drawing over discussions, 45 minutes with a special guest. It's mostly a video podcast. I do have it where you can listen to the interview, but the idea behind it is to be able to watch me complete a drawing from start to finish while I'm engaged in a discussion with um, someone who I find interesting and hopefully um, the people who are listening or watching will uh, feels that they're just as interesting. So just mostly check- my guests doing the talking. Okay, so just check it out on YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube at Art by Ty. Um, T-A-I is the spelling of my name, but yep. yeah, just youtube.com slash Art by Ty. And then it's on all of the, uh, you know, the, the podcast platforms. So I'm like on Spotify and Apple Music and all of those. Yeah, so that that first one's coming out on Monday. Is that what you, you said? Um, this Thursday, Thursday this night, Thursday. Uh, oh, 8 cool. p.m. Eastern. Yeah, the premiere is uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and then it uh, will be available on my Facebook, YouTube, or all of the streaming platforms. There is a pilot episode where we talk about music, um, but yeah, I've got some other uh, pretty cool guys that I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, Mr. Dibbs, I, some people don't know who Mr. Dibbs is, but yeah, he's sitting in with me next. So nice, and some other people. So. Cool, man. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to, to watch them. And, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you sitting down with me too. Yeah. Thank you, Will. All right, well, do, you have a, do, you, do you have a, have you figured out what your sign off is? Uh, not, I mean, not really. We kind of, um, we've, we've gone back and forth with it a little bit. I've, I've kind of like, I've said enough stuff and then 
Douglas calls it together and has a little sign yeah. off. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I've always wanted to do. You've said it all, like Howard Stern. That's what he does, <laughs> and then the, then the interview goes on for another twenty minutes. Right. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> how I figure out mine. <laughs> that's how I kind of like with with um, Mark Marin. I mean, he's kind of my hero as far as interviews go, and it, he kind of comes in. And he's like, "Well, we good." <laughs> yeah. you know like, he's, witty, he's witty and smart as balls like with his communications like he right. says he's, yeah so that helps I mean, what, 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 what we good what we good you got anything else I think we covered it <laughs> alright we're down and then he plays that's guitar great. that's the best I gotta figure out something like that yeah Mine, I just, yeah I'll just do uh, thanks for joining me cheers <laughs> that's good hand, but it yeah. doesn't feel so insincere like I'm kind of like and then it's like off yeah well, right. Be like, uh, mine has been to just kind of you can kind of see my hand entering the frame, and I, I as I'm reaching for the end button, and then it's awkward. Okay, well, let's let's do it right here. Then so this will be the, this will be the sign off. You, how would you sign off? You'd say yours. I'd say mine. I would just say, I say, I'd say, Ty, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I appreciate all the conversation, and all the tips, and and everything we learned from you this week. Well, I appreciate you having me. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. I'll see you on the road, I hopefully. All right, Will. All right. All right, man. Thank you yeah, so much. you bet. Have a great Bye. weekend. All right. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. Oh, great job, Will. That was a really, really great conversation. You know, it, it doesn't get any easier than just uh, sitting down with your friends and talking to them and handing it to you to make a podcast out of. <laughs> so I appreciate you, sir. You know, I listen to these interviews quite a few times as, as I work on them, as, you know, clean things up. And I just get so connected to listening to our guests, even if it's the interview that I just got done talking to them with. I hear things differently, things, you know, that come out in, in people's stories. And it, it, it only inspires me more. I mean, we are in a community of such amazing people and I find such inspiration, not just from what we do, but from who we all are. We all work for ourselves. You know, we have to have, there, there's a drive in being your own boss. Uh, there's also something that makes us unhirable almost, <laughs> that makes us do our own thing. And that's, that's what I love about talking to people like Ty and sitting down and, and hearing what makes them tick and what makes them drive, learning more about, you know, the artist kind of community that's happening in Hannibal that's so cool. It makes me feel a little bit more connected. So I, I appreciate him sitting down and I appreciate you cutting it up and making it sound good. <laughs> you know, and the other thing that I find so awesome is we are all really working as hard as we can to be the best that we can. I mean, these these shows are designed as competitions, you know, competition to get in the festival to sell your work, competition to win awards at the event, competition to win over our collectors who want to take our work home and support us. So that drive, it's, it's not for everyone. No, it's not. And I see it, you see it as a competition and, and I look at it like a poker mm -hmm. game. But um, you have to you know, have to be invited to the big mm -hmm. table sometimes in order to make the money. And that's how I see it. But it's interesting to get a chance to look beyond the sunglasses and, and really get to know somebody. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do that with this podcast. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. So Douglas, it was a really interesting conversation there, but you're going to take the family theme next week and push it to another direction. Who do you have? I'm going to do an interview with, uh, with Mickey Cunningham. 
and her daughter, Reiko Yucatel. Uh, I love those guys. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had a great conversation and we have a lot in common. Um, our kids are about roughly the same age. Maybe theirs were a little older, but they kind of grew up in that same era. And we're both fine craft artists and we kind of both understand and have in common that that grind, that... that well, it's a family grind, but it's also you guys speak the same language. You that's know? right. You, you've done the same thing. You, you talk. I feel like artists in general, we speak a, a certain language so that when we get away, I call them humans or civilians when we get away from <laughs> to people that aren't art show artists and then we have to talk a different way. It's like you guys talk a couple of different languages that are the same. So I'm looking forward to hearing that conversation. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for tuning in this week and we'll see you next time. And be sure to check out our Facebook page and Instagram page. You can find us at the Independent Artist Podcast. Uh, check us out, like us, and subscribe, and join the conversation. Good to see you, Douglas. We'll see you all next week. Bye, Will. This podcast has been brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. And while you're at it, check out Will's website at willarmstrongart.com and my website at sigworthglass.com. And remember to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes.